0: Well, welcome again. Uh, we are in a series in 1st and 2nd Thec- Thessalonians and this is one of those texts, I'm not going to lie to you guys, <laughs> it's one of those texts that you get to and uh, you're kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. uh, this, that's, the, that's the alias of this sermon today is, is wait, what? Uh, it's really about, it's about the end times, which is an, an area that you're either probably too obsessed with or not obsessed with enough. That's kind of what we... Trying to find felt. a
1: happy medium.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it it's kind of an interesting text for a couple different reasons. One, because it deals with the Antichrist. And we're all like, wait, what? What's happening this week at church? The Antichrist. Yeah. He's pretty much the main topic of conversation. But it's also kind of interesting because we don't know all of the conversation. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you overhear somebody and you hear like a little tidbit of their conversation and you're totally lost? You're totally... You, like, Wait, what are you guys talking about? How did you get there? What, what is going on with this conversation? Because you just got a tidbit of it. It's kind of what we get today. Is Paul has apparently taught the Thessalonians a whole bunch of stuff about the end times in person. And then, so then when he hears that there's some false teaching entering into the church, he kind of tries to clear it up uh, in this letter. So in essence, it would be way easier for us and scholars for the last two millennia to understand and, and interpret this text had we been involved in the very first in-person teaching sessions, but we were not. Um, so while Paul is, is reminding them of what they already know, we have to kind of try to fill in some holes and figure out what we can understand um it may very be- well be one of those situations where the bible tells us what we need to know about the end times and the antichrist but maybe not all that we would like to know about the end times and uh, the antichrist and all those types of things so that's kind of what we're dealing with this morning
1: yeah so if you have bibles go ahead and turn to second uh thessalonians 2 that's where we're going to camp out today in the first 12 verses um, so you can follow along on the screen if you have a Bible. If Uh, On our info table over there, we have some Bibles, so if you want to grab one, take that as your own, feel free to do so. Okay, so let's start off here, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord
0: has come. So it starts okay. with now now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, so w- we've seen Paul talk about this before the coming uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus um, <laughs> apparently it's a really important issue for Paul, and this is one of our big uh takeaways that 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 we do want to talk about is that he had spoken about this previously he's written about it a ton um, and he was only with the Thessalonians a short amount of time. Yeah, I
1: think it's kind of one of those cases where it's like he spent this time teaching them about this, and now to hear that they're way off, he's like, wait, guys, we just talked about this. We just went over this. He wrote about it back in 1 Thessalonians. And so you'll see as we go through our text today, he's like, where, where, where are we missing the point here? Because we just talked about this in person face-to-face, so what's going on?
0: Well, what's crazy to me, though, is that he was there as few as three weeks Mm -hmm. and maybe as much as a few months, and these are, so this is a young baby church plant, and he decided the end times was important enough to really harp on it then and to now clear it up now. So this is something, as we said earlier, that sometimes we don't spend enough time on, and you can over-obsess about the end times, but we can also be uninformed and and miss the mark. So he says uh, I, I want to talk about this again. I want to review.
1: Yeah, it, we take what the scripture gives us, right? We don't we don't read into things, we don't add to the scripture. And so I think sometimes because it's so ambiguous, the scripture's just not super clear on it, we just say, okay, it's not really that important. But it is important because it's in here. And so what is Paul asking or what is Paul telling these people what's he telling us what can we learn
0: from this text today well specifically what he's asking them here in this opening is not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed um remember previously the discussion of end times uh, had led the people to some wrong conclusions possibly some false teaching they were confused about what happened to those who'd gone to sleep before them in death and preceded them they were confused about all this kind of stuff this time it's obvious that the false teaching um, was definitely the the problem that that had brought on this uh, this confusion that they were currently in and it it led them to this place where they were shaken they were they were shaken in mind and alarmed well and
1: you remember Paul often says grace and peace. He talks about peace, and this is far from the peace that Paul expected from these believers and these believers to have because they're shaken and they're they're rattled and, and they're scared, as we see in our text. Well, and,
0: and we don't really know who is it. Right. Who it is. It's, we never find that's that. That's
1: the weird part. Is it a
0: letter? Is it someone impersonating Paul? He is it kind of hints that it could be a letter. Like yeah. somebody said, Love Paul at the end of. Uh, it's possible it could have been a spoken word, too. That's there through some sort of a spirit. Um, but we do hear what the false teaching was. Someone had told them this, that the day of the Lord had already come. That the day of the Lord had already come. And I kind of get this. It's
1: terrifying. <laughs>
0: I kind of get that being a shake and, and, and alarmed and and afraid thing because I remember as a teenager watching uh, a Thief in the Night. <laughs> Any of you guys get scared by that movie when you were young? <laughs> terrifying. And yeah, and everybody gets snatched Two men away, and you're up like, a hill. yeah, one what? disappears, Keeps and the sing- other no, no just things Yeah, it, it's <laughs> terrifying. It's I like wish when we'd all you walk, yeah, when
1: you walk into your house as a kid and like you don't hear anything, and you're like, hello. Yeah. Like, as a Christian, you're
0: w- thinking. I, uh, was, I I the was, I, was I not ready?
1: Was I not ready?
0: Well, and two, I, I think I I kind of grew up in some legalistic churches and settings too, where I was just so afraid that I hadn't been good enough. Mm. So that fear was very real for me. I wanted to please God. I wanted Him to love me. I wanted to be snatched up in the air with Him, and I knew that this was coming because I'd been taught it. But I was so afraid that I wasn't good enough. What if God returns at a moment when I'm in the middle of sin or or have something that I haven't confessed to him yet? And I had this great fear about these things. So the rapture and the day of the Lord, two different things, right? Well, see, that's the interesting thing. So I was afraid of being raptured. Exactly. Or not being raptured, I should say, missing (laughs) the rapture. But there's a second thing that these guys are actually scared of um, in the timetable of eschatology, if you will. That means the study. Write that down. Impress your friends. Eschatology. There's the rapture, which Kevin Pitts was afraid of missing. And since I've learned about grace and what salvation really is, uh, that fear of missing the rapture has gone away. Praise God. And I can live in that peace. But they were upset because somebody said they'd actually missed the day of the Lord. Explain the difference to us, Pastor Drew. Yeah, so
1: rapture happens, right? Those that are uh, believe in Christ are taken. And then we go through... We'll get into these views. We're kind of skipping ahead a little bit. Just but a teeny bit. There's this time of tribulation, millennium, and then Jesus comes again, the day of the Lord, the second coming. And so
0: so the day of the Lord is when he actually comes in power, yes. gets rid of sin, gets rid of uh, shame, sickness. Everything has gone, and, and we go to judgment. That's who
1: this shyster or this guy— um that is telling them different is is saying that the day of the lord has already come and, and that's what they're afraid of like what we how do we miss this
0: and why does why do we still seem to have sin and shame and guilt and grossness i don't understand what's happening they they were completely confused because again imagine hearing from someone supposedly speaking on paul's behalf or paul himself that said hey the lord's already come a second time and you're just so confused I think we'd all probably be shaken and alarmed. But since, again, Paul had already taught them so much about it, he's a little bummed, I think, that they believed this false teaching. Let's go on. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So, again, our, our title is deception, deceit. Uh, avoid these things. Let no one deceive you, he says, in any way. Anyway, now
1: that's important. Because there are many false teachings out there. And if you remember our context and uh, historical context of uh, this church in, in Thessalonica, they're going through that. There, There's false teachings out there. There's false religions out there that are causing them to stumble and this being one of them. And so I think it's the key goal of Satan. It really
0: is. He's the great deceiver. He's the liar. And he wants to derail us from the truth, um, convince us that God's words are false and it, it's crazy because we find out in Scripture that the devil, he's real, guys. Satan is real, and he is doomed to suffer in hell for eternity. And he's decided he wants to bring as many human beings as he can with him. He wants he, uh, misery loves company kind of a situation. He's that evil. So really, there's
1: no wonder that there's so many false religions out there, so many, uh, so much humanistic thinking in the world and so much worship of, of science or other things apart from the creator itself. And so the more deception, the more confusion, the better, and that's what Satan wants because he is the, the father of lies and, and deception and confusion and, and disunity. That's that's
0: who he is. But the best way to spot a fake is to know the real thing. I mean, that's, that's what we've learned from bankers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you did a little research on this, didn't you? Did I? I think so. Yeah, I love it. No? No. Nope. Is, <laughs> is that Pastor Mark's comment? No, but it, it's the same. <laughs> that's, that's not my comment. I that's thought that was not, you. not mine. <laughs> um, you did a little research, did I? <laughs> this is what happens in the team teach sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Should we just read it? Let's see if Pastor yeah. Mark's any good. Federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits, Drew. They don't. They study genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then, when they see the bogus money, they recognize it.
1: Or they just get pens and write on the money. There's that, too. (laughs) Either either one
0: works. (laughs) So maybe in some ways it's kind of good that we don't know too much about these false teachers. Um, It could just (laughs) distract us from the truth is that that's what they were doing. They were distracting the Thessalonians from the truth. Um, And really the best thing that we could do is saturate ourselves in the word of God so that we know the truth when we see it and we know fiction when we see it. Um, So now Paul reminds them in this kind of section with some cliff notes how they should be able to spot this false teaching. He had taught them already that the day of the Lord was going to be some. There was there was going to be a timeline here. He says, for that day will not come unless, and he starts to outline some of the things that he had already told them that they should have known about the end times. Let's talk a little bit about one of the most highly debated
1: eschatology debates, if you will. Um, we made when a, the we rapture made graph. is going to take place or in a a in, line graph? Yeah, I don't know
0: what you want to even call it. It's, yeah. it's gorgeous.
1: So, the, the Bible talks about, prophesies about a millennium, a thousand year period. And so I don't know if you
0: guys have ever heard of the millennium. Raise your hand if you have. Okay. So you Lord, s- about sort of heard about this thing. Thousand years.
1: So, not everyone agrees on when in God's plan that takes place. Some believe it started at Pentecost and it's still kind of happening. Um, some believe that it started at Pentecost and then uh, ended when the
0: um, when the, the temple, temple was destroyed. So it's already over, right? The millennium. We tend to believe that the start of the millennium begins um, at the end of the actual seven year tribulation. Uh, so it's yet to come. That's that belief is called premillennialism. Now, when you believe the millennium is is not a salvation issue. Just remember that. It's an issue where scholars disagree, etc., etc. We have a belief. From that belief, now there's a huge debate about the rapture and how that's going to happen. Don't go too far, Tex. Um, I lost it now. There we go. Uh, So... It oh, is you blank. just wait Sorry, we were just in the notes, just he wait. was scrolling and yeah, yeah. Just here wait. we go here's a, here's a blank chart. No, wait, a little bit of chart. so if you are premillennial, which we tend to be, and again, if you're not premillennial out there don't don't be worried. There's your charts later, but not today. Um, <laughs> in a premillennial view that the millennium is going to start after the tribulation. This is kind of uh, one of three schools of thoughts in that camp. You can imagine how complicated all this study is because we're in, we're looking at one camp's three views. Uh, there's the pre-tribbers. The pre-tribbers believe that the tribulation is an actual seven-year period. It will begin um, at the parousia or the rapture of the saints. So uh, a pre-tribber would say that pre-tribulation... Um, Christians get raptured away. So that seven years of nastiness and all the scary stuff. Uh, we get to miss it. Uh, and then at the end of the tribulation is the day of the Lord, uh, which is the second coming. So that's the pre-trib camp. There's also a mid-trib camp. So
1: kind of similar in the sense that sev- literal seven-year period of tribulation, except the rapture doesn't happen until three and a half years in the rapture happens. Then the rest of the three and a half of the years
0: to make up the seven years. And then the day of the Lord comes back. So that's, yeah. that's mid trim. Then we've got the post-tribbers. The post-tribbers, obviously, after the tribulation. They see uh, the tribulation beginning by the events described in our text today, which we're going to get to, and then culminating with the second coming of Jesus, which is simultaneous with the rapture. So they would see the day of the Lord and the parousia as the same thing or the same event, the same timetable. And I've heard some people uh, from all three camps, use today's text as a proof text of their theories. So, is anybody a little bit confused yet? I mean, could you see why there is some confusion in Christendom? Too? There's
1: also more variations of this. There is. There's, there's like a pre-rath, many more post rat all sorts of stuff.
0: It's, yeah. it's a whole scene. Again, this isn't an not essential. Not essential. Yeah, um, but having a grasp of ex- eschatology is important. It's not the path to salvation. So let's not treat it like it is, but it's also not unimportant. And I think one of the problems that we as Christians have is we see all these complicated debates and, and we see people getting ridiculously passionate about it maybe too passionate about it. We're like, well, I don't want to do any of that. Uh, I'm going to avoid that whole area because it seems like it's a whole hotbed of debate. And so we decide to become completely ignorant which I think today's text is battling against. It's, I mean, secondly,
1: I, th- I think it, it, it is interesting. Um, so it's something that if, if it interests you, and, uh, to study up on it. See what, see what other people say. See the different beliefs. See the you know, difference between millennialism or postmillennialism and premillennialism and then all the different variations of that. It's, it is pretty interesting, but hold it
0: loosely. It's, it's not one of those essentials to salvation. Third and most importantly, is this what in the world is Paul trying to say to these Christians and what can we learn? Um, and I think that the biggest thing that we need to remember is he's trying to comfort these people. There was fear and there was confusion, he wants to put that away. Um, any end times teaching that you run across that leads to fear mongering is problematic. I'd say it's unhealthy. And I'd say stay away from anything that's going to get you into that fear mongering place and live in the peace that Paul wants, that God wants in understanding that God wins (laughs) and that uh, uh, God has already predicted and prophesied about these things. So
1: so let's try to stick to what we can figure out and what we can learn from this text. So let's hop back into our text. Verse three, Um, you know, we, we kind of read through this already, but so with all that in mind, Paul said, "There's no way that you guys could have missed the day of the Lord. It's yeah, just not was,
0: possible. There was these events that needed to take place.
1: Right. So uh, one of those events is uh, referred to by Paul here as the rebellion.
0: The rebellion
1: can also be translated as the apostasy. Um, apostasy in Greek is a military term that refers to the abandoning of a post." So when using in context to the church, it means someone abandoning the, the faith.
0: A Christian has gone AWOL. <laughs> uh, to be honest, though, modern-day interpreters are still uh, they're at a loss as to understand exactly what Paul's referring to when he talks about the rebellion. Uh, again, it, Paul had given them a full teaching in person, and now he's reminding them, hey, I told you the rebellion would come first. Um, so we're trying to fill in the blanks as far as what is the rebellion. It, it seems to refer to an event. Um, and we might think it, it, it refers to an event where uh, believing Christians are starting to, to to turn from the fall because of how the word apostasy is used. But I think instead what it seems to be referring to is, is a general revolt against God by humankind. That there will um, come a time... When uh, all of mankind will just generally revolt against God, all 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 truth will just be thrown out the window and people will be uh, violent towards God, hating God, etc. etc. And the name of Jesus Christ will be offensive, et cetera. So um, it, it seems to be a, a period of, of general rebellion and hostility towards God. It may be sparked by an event. Uh, a big a worldwide event, or something like that, who knows maybe it 's sparked by the rapture itself. Uh, what we can know is that it seems to be uh, in tandem with the second event that Paul kind of mentions
1: yeah, he says that uh, the law of uh, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, so this is the man that you 've probably often heard referred to as the Antichrist because he stands against everything that christ is in everything uh, Christ did, the evil counterfeit, if you will,
0: of of Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, when you think about Scripture and who Jesus was versus what the Antichrist is and will do, uh, first of all, Jesus fulfilled the entire law, whereas Antichrist is described here as the lawless one.
1: So Jesus is the God of creation, and the Antichrist is the, the son of destruction,
0: lawlessness. Yeah, Jesus deserves worship. Antichrist sits in God's sanctuary and demands worship. So
1: Jesus declares and is truth, and Antichrist peddles this unrighteous deception of, of truth.
0: Jesus uh, was revealed from heaven, Antichrist revealed from earth. And then Jesus is going to
1: come for the church, as we've been learning. Um, in the Antichrist, he comes with, with Satan's power and, and Satan's backing.
0: Yeah, back in Isaiah 14, um, in the Old Testament, we learn that Satan, he failed in his first attempt to dethrone God. But he will not be deterred uh, from one final attempt at a coup. And it's going to be with Antichrist, um, the Son of destruction, the man of lawlessness, who is the antichrist? A lot of people have written about that. A lot of people have postulated. Um, we don't know, honestly though, and, and I'm not sure that we can know. I think every attempt to identify him uh, historically has failed and, and probably caused again more of that confusion than than peace. So while we can't know who he will be, we can know that he will come. And Paul wants to make that really clear. Uh, Again, though, an unhealthy fixation on the Antichrist is going to distract us from the beautifully uh, healthy fixation that we should have on Jesus Christ. So, again, a balance here. Understanding he will come. He will deceive. Uh, and he will set himself up and declare himself as God, and he will have real power, which is kind of what Paul describes. So verse 5, <clears throat> do you not remember
1: that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So Paul says, verse 5 here, do you not remember? Now, it's, it's interesting that Paul would say this because the promise of, of Christ's return was supposed to bring about this peace and hope and comfort to these people. And yet, it's having the opposite effect because this false teaching has infiltrated their church. And, and so now they're, they're, they're filled with us. Uh, with scary thoughts and, and hopelessness and, and, worry. And so they really had no excuse for allowing this to have that effect on them, to be so troubling to them, even though there there's someone or something spreading these false teaching, these false doctrines in this church, because Paul had already taught them about this. He had already laid out when Christ was coming, what was going to happen. And, um, that he hadn't already come, that, that, that the day of the Lord had not come yet.
0: Now one commentary says their gullibility was an emotional reaction to the stress of their situation. However, truth is not determined by emotions or circumstances. It's determined by Scripture. Uh, we as believers must allow biblical truth and theology to rise above our circumstances in every situation. That's so
1: true, because you think of, of situations in your life, you may be on a mountaintop and everything's good and God is, is love, God is sovereign, um, you know, he has his, his best interest in, in mind for, for me and everything is great until things start to get shaky, the waves start to, to crash around you in your life and, and things start to fall apart and, and you're not sure of what's going on. Those truths don't change, but our outlook can change, right? We can begin to doubt God's love. We can begin to doubt that God is sovereign, that God has control over everything. We can begin to doubt that his plans are best. It, when we think about the now, we begin to think about what is happening around us, and, and that's what was happening with the church. But we, we shouldn't allow emotional uh, circumstances or, or trials in our lives to determine what truth is. That's not truth scripture and in, in God's word is, is truth. And so we know that God is love. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God has a plan for us, that we're not vessels of wrath. So regardless of what goes on in our lives, whether we're on the mountaintop or we're barely hanging on, those truths do not
0: change in our lives. Yeah, I was just talking to Steve Downs about this, that scripture is something that is so important to memorize because we can bring it back to our recollection because we do forget. Yep. He starts with, do you not remember? He even goes on in, in verse 6, and, and you know, you know this stuff. You know uh, that what is restraining him now um, is restraining him so that he might be revealed in his time. Um, again, this is another example of something that Paul assumes they know. Uh, And we're supposed to know, but there's some kind of confusion on exactly what this restraining is too. who what's restraining him or maybe more accurately, who is restraining him? Since verse seven, it changes from a a thing to a he, he who now restrains it. Um, There's a lot of of answers that have been proposed by scholars, uh, but I think it's safe to say it's the Holy Spirit who's restraining him. Um, God is sovereign over all of human history. Holy Spirit will not allow uh, his timetable, God's timetable, the Father's timetable, to be dictated by anyone at all, not even this lawless one. Uh, This lawless one has a whole lot of power. No power over God in his timetable, though. Um, Interestingly enough, though, although we have this restrainer, Paul says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work.
1: Yeah, so essentially the spirit of the Antichrist has existed for centuries and, and millennia. It, it, so the law, lawless one will come, but lawlessness is already here. It's kind of strange. So it's that spirit, the essence of the Antichrist here.
0: Yeah, the one who opposes God will come, but there are already so many mm-hmm. who oppose God today. It, it's, it's a fact. The one who sets himself up, as God in His temple, He may be yet to appear. But I mean, think about idolatry of every kind uh, that pervades our society. It is is completely uh, normative th- for things and people to put themselves in the place right. of so God. So
1: we may miss the actual Antichrist in our lifetime. It may He may come. The Thessalonians did right. <laughs> he may make, He may come after us, but we're experiencing the sp- this. Sp- Spirit of the Antichrist now. Yeah. And that's why all the more we need to be that salt and light in the world. We need to be the ambassadors for Jesus Christ um, and be those representatives of
0: him in this world. Because when Holy Spirit does allow it, he will burst onto the scene with power and influence. And it's going to be a worldwide Event And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. I might say that these two verses are my favorite in the passage. Um, let's begin at the end before we get to the, my favorite part. Let's begin at the end here. He says in verse 8, or sorry, my glasses, 9, <laughs> the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. The power of Satan himself will fuel uh, this man's rise and his conquest of the world, this will not be a small power. He will even uh, be able to produce false signs, wonders, miracles that would will amaze his devoted followers and will crush any potential enemies. He will be powerful. Yeah, and he's going to have followers. And Paul says it,
1: you know, because they refuse to love the truth and, and so be saved. He is going to have those devoted followers Um, behind him, and and he will be powerful. But um, one thing I I love about this is this next verse. If we go back to verse 8, you kind of get to see the end of the Antichrist and what is going to happen. He says, Paul says, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. I just have this Beautiful picture of Aslan. I, totally. It's, I was going to go there. Yeah.
0: I was going to go there. Just his breath. I mean, the power of the Antichrist, again, is uh, the power of Satan is real. But it's going to be like nothing when compared to the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The breath of his mouth, he's going to lay him to waste. Just by his coming, he will topple the mighty the most mighty warriors that have been created. That's divine power because he's the creator uh, up against the created. And that should excite us. I mean, that should be the type of thing that makes us a little bit more of a southern church here where we, we read texts like this and we start jumping out of our seats and shouting amen and preach, pastor. Come on. I mean, that's good stuff. This just should lead us to a place of just worship. Um, of boldness, knowing that whatever the world throws at us, uh, whether it's the spirit of the Antichrist that we're already dealing with, or the Antichrist himself, who will have way more power than you and I by ourselves, Jesus wins. He can't not win because he's Jesus, because he's God. Amen and amen. All right, let's keep going.
1: Verse 11. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So, by the deceptiveness of his miracles, uh, signs, and, and wonders, the Antichrist will be successful, like we talked about, in leading many to follow him, to be on, on his side. Um, And and the full effect of his work is going to be embraced by those numbers of people who would rather believe in what is false than what is true, the Bible, God's word. But as deceptive as the Antichrist will be in in signs and wonders and miracles and all those different things, each and every person is responsible for their own fate, his
0: or her own fate. We talked about this extensively last week. Christ provided a way to be forgiven of sins, um, a way to be able to enter into relationship with his father. However, most refuse to admit they need a savior. Uh, And it's what we do with Jesus that will really seal our eternal fates. Um, John Stott put it this way, behind the great deception is the great refusal. Behind the great deception is the great refusal. Um, these closing verses here, they, they paint this chilling portrait of the fate of those who harden their hearts towards God. Um, and just like Pharaoh in Exodus, which we studied uh, a couple of years ago, he hardens his heart. And so God ultimately finishes the hardening. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. For us, the, the tension between human responsibility and divine sovereignty, um, it's hard for us. We're like, how do these things live side by side? How, how do we live with that tension? But it's a tension that I think um, lives in Scripture, and so we need to live with it as well. Um, And I pray that I'll understand it more fully in eternity. For now, I just trust God. And when I read a verse like that and I'm I'm tended to think God seems so mean to send a spirit uh, of uh, delusion to them. Um, understanding that they were responsible for their actions is important. Well,
1: And remember, last week we just learned this. We just talked about how God is just and right and how he can be just and right at this, the same time. And, and so today we see that God will condemn those people who did not believe the truth but had <laughs> pleasure in unrighteousness. We're all responsible for our own actions. We're all responsible for our own lives and what we believe in and, and not believe in. And and God is just and right. And because God is just and right, there has to be judgment and there has to be payment for our sins. Because we all have sinned. And so where does that leave us today?
0: Well, I'm going to go back to this chart for a second here. Um, I tend to be a a pre-Tribber, pre-millennial kind of a guy in my understanding of Scripture. Uh, and honestly, that's the best news, um, that I could give you. I wish I was a hundred percent confident and there's no way I was ever wrong, but I know better than that because I'm not that smart and we'll all be corrected by Jesus, by the things we had wrong. This would be really good news if pre-trib was the truth though, wouldn't it? It would mean that seven years of tribulation is not something that I endure, <laughs> that I wouldn't have to go through that. It would be really good news for the believer. And so I want to live my life in a way that I'm ready for Jesus to return at any moment. I want to be ready for that. The possibility that the tribulation could begin and some of these things uh, could begin to unfold before our very eyes and we're still here, it's a real possibility. It could happen that way. And if that happens, I want to be ready to go through three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, seven years of tribulation if I need to. I want to be ready for that. I want my faith to be firm so that the deception and lies of the antichrist won't fool me as a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to be steady and firm so that the difficulties that will face Christians during the tribulation won't derail me. I'm not so soft that as soon as pain came, I would reject God and run the other way and become part of the rebellion. I want to be ready for that possibility. Two. In essence, I want to be ready. I want to be ready. And I, I don't know about you, Drew, but I just kept going back to last week's text because, again, we, we separate these things by a week of preaching because you can only preach so many verses at a time. But it's the same thought. It's the same thought that there are two fates for humankind, depending on what you do with Jesus Christ. Either you're going to rule and reign with Christ forever and experience peace and joy uh, like you never could imagine. Or it's going to be a fate that is marked by pain and regret with sorrow forever, lacking the presence of God in any way, shape or form. It's going to be frightful. As a believer, we can have peace and confidence. We can be ready for whatever death or the second coming or the rapture or whatever it is has in store for us. We can just be ready. But there's so many that I know that I that just aren't ready. And and I think that if our evangelistic heat isn't turned up, if the church doesn't get a little bit more desperate, if we don't realize this is life and death stuff and get a little bit more proactive, a lot more proactive, and care a lot more about those who are suffering and dying. We're never going to be all that God wants us to be. So, I don't know. I think our big takeaways are this. Lies, deceptions, delusions, they happen. They're happening now. The spirit of, law, of the man of lawlessness, they're going to happen even more and more and more. So we've got to be a people rooted in truth. We've got to people be a people who are ready. And who are getting other people ready as well let's not ignore eschatology let's not get obsessed with eschatology but let let us be a people who love eschatology because the good news is that jesus wins in the end and He's great and greatly to be praised amen